It is Friday, October 30th, 2020. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Live podcast. I am podcasting back here in Billings, Montana. Had a good vacation in Oregon and Idaho. And I'm back here in Montana. I haven't decided if I'm going to be podcasting over Christmas or not in uh, Oregon and Idaho. We'll find out. Who knows? But um, I will apologize in advance. This podcast may have some technical difficulties. I'm hoping not. What's happening is while I was on vacation, my hard drive crashed. And obviously that meant I had to put in a new hard drive. Or at least I had to go to Geek Squad and get the new hard drive put in. Well, while that happened, I had to obviously install a bunch of programs, including Goldwave, which I record this podcast off of if I'm solo, including Zoom, and uh, I use Focusrite to record to have to use as an interface between the microphone and the computer. So my voice is going from the microphone to an interface box that interfaces with my computer. And that box is called the Focusrite. The Focusrite is also a miniature soundboard, very miniature soundboard. It's a rectangular box, but it's also a miniature soundboard. And ever since I have replaced the driver with this Focusrite, it sounded really distorted. The only way that I can get it to sound normal is to record these podcasts in mono, which all of them are recorded in mono partly because this Focusrite does not do very well in stereo. And whenever I do it in stereo, it only comes out of one earpiece, as uh, you have found the hard way listening to one of my podcasts, at least the beginning of the podcast. So it's uh, kind of annoying, but it's been sounding really distorted unless I put this whole thing in mono. Usually if it's in stereo before my hard drive crashed, it was fine. I just had to switch it to mono. Now it sounds awfully distorted unless I put this in mono. So if this sounds a little distorted, I apologize. Now, if I put this podcast up and it sounds really distorted, it's going down. I'm taking it down. But I'm just letting you know if it sounds a little distorted in your speakers, I apologize. I am working on it. But I I think it's good enough to do a podcast because I'm saving this in mono. Another reason I do this podcast in mono I don't understand why I need to do it in stereo when all I'm doing is talking. In fact, I've never even done a music bed with this podcast, ever. So I don't see a reason in putting it in stereo, quite honestly. Today I am solo because I have a lot to talk about. In fact, the next two podcasts I plan to be solo. Next week, I plan to be solo, and then uh, it's back to interviewing some folks. And I've got some interviews in the works coming up. But I'm solo because some things happened on vacation that I want to talk about. Now, a lot of people think, oh, Kevin, you're obsessed with the Bundy family. Well, yeah, there's a reason for that. And I'm actually going to talk about an experience I had with the Bundys because I met Cliven and his wife, Carol, And obviously, I've met Ammon, because I've had him on the podcast twice. And I've met uh, Ammon's brother, Ryan, and his wife, Angie. I have not met Ammon's wife, Lisa. I understand Lisa's pretty quiet and reserved, which is fine. I understand why, just because of some behind-the-scenes things that I'm aware of. And that's fine. I don't have to meet Lisa. Um, Ammon is a fine man. We'll get into that. But the reason I'm so obsessed with the Bundys is I find them very patriotic, willing to stand up for what they believe in. Willing to stand up for what they believe in. And they don't take no for an answer. And if we had a bunch of Ammon Bundys out there, I think we could actually get this nation on track. We'll get into that later. I want to talk about my experience with Cliven Bundy because on September 10th, 2010, I met Cliven. Let me tell you how that came about. 
The meeting I had with Cliven came about because I was listening to a convention for blind people in 2018. It would have been in early July of 2018. That convention was in Florida, in Orlando. When they announced where the convention would be in 2019, I was super excited for a couple reasons. Number one, Las Vegas, which is where it was in 2019, but when they announced it in 2018, it was at, uh, at the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas. I was excited because, number one, it was closer to me. Usually, to go to these conventions, I would have to fly clear across the country to get to these conventions. For example, Kentucky, Atlanta, Texas. Well, Texas isn't too far, but it's far enough, relatively speaking. It takes four hours to fly from Salt Lake City, Utah, to Dallas, Texas, which is where I would go, which is where I would fly out of. And so, yeah, I, I'd pretty much go across the country or halfway across the country. So when I heard Vegas, I thought, I'm going to this. But the other reason I went, probably, I, I would actually say about uh, 80 tonight, 80% of the reason as to why I went to Vegas is because I wanted to meet Clive and Bundy. And I knew that my chances of meeting him there would be 50% because uh, Vegas is close to Mesquite, Nevada. Although I didn't realize just how far Vegas is from Mesquite. It's actually a good 90-mile drive. I didn't realize that until I went to Mesquite. And we'll, I'll get into that later. So when I went to Vegas in 2019, of course I attended a lot of the convention meetings. Of course I did some things that I wanted to do at the convention and did some things that I needed to. But I, in the back of my mind, I thought about how I was going to meet Cliven. Now, I knew some people that knew Cliven, and one person I knew that I, I kept begging her to give me Cliven's number. And I've had her on the podcast, Janalee Tobias. I've had her on the podcast, and she'd always say, oh, I don't know Cliven well enough to ask him ask him to ask him for you know ask him if it's okay for me to give him your phone number and you know the conversation just went into a dead end so what I did is I had another friend that knew Cliven and I told him that I was going to Las Vegas gave him a heads up well I told him again when I was in Vegas, and then I was there for a good week. And it was getting close to my time to come back to Salt Lake. Well, actually, I was moving to Pleasant Grove, but near the, to the Salt Lake area. So I called my friend and said, uh, my time is running short here. I, I really want to meet this guy. And he apologized that he hadn't done anything. So the next day, I was in a general sessions, a general session for the NFB convention, the National Federation of the Blind convention. And I got a call, but I couldn't take it because I was at the general session, so I let it go to voicemail. While I was eating lunch, I noticed that I had a message, and I listened to it, and I couldn't understand the message at first. And I ignored it because it was an elderly guy, and I didn't have my earbuds in at the time. I was just listening on my earpiece on the phone, the built-in earpiece. Usually I have my earbuds in, but for whatever reason I didn't at that time, so I just ignored the message. But I had a really strong feeling that I needed to listen to the message again, and I didn't know why. It, it was a really strong feeling. So I pulled out my phone and listened to the message again, and... It was Cliven, and at first I didn't believe it. I thought it might have been just somebody pranking me because I've told enough people I wanted to meet Cliven, enough people knew, so I thought somebody was pranking me. The other issue that I had is it was not an air. Uh, well, I don't want to get in. That, that's the issue I had. I don't want to get into the other issue, but at first I didn't believe it was Cliven, but I called back the number. It only took me about three seconds to figure out, yes, it is Cliven. 
So I actually kind of said as a joke to myself, really, you are the real Clive and Bundy. And he kind of laughed and said, yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> so we agreed over a few conversations that the day after Labor, or that uh, Wednesday, or that Tuesday, actually I met him on a Wednesday. No, I met him on Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. We agreed that uh, Tuesday, the Tuesday, uh, the two Tuesdays after Labor Day, so not the first Tuesday, but the next Tuesday after Labor Day, September 10th, would be the best time for us to meet. So I had a friend take me to St. George, Utah, and then from St. George, I took a shuttle from St. George to Mesquite, Nevada. I didn't realize how close St. George and Mesquite are. That's about a 40-minute drive. In fact, it might even be less than that, depending on who's driving. It honestly seemed as though just a few minutes after I got in, it was time to get out. It, I know it wasn't the case, but it just seemed like it. I was just anticipating a longer drive because all of my whole Ever since I'd heard about Mesquite, oh, it's close to Vegas. So I, th I thought I'd at least have an hour and 15 minutes of a drive or something. I was surprised to find out how close Mesquite is to St. George. Anyway, I went to a motel that I made reservations at, checked myself in, and the next day I met with Cliven. We talked a lot about what happened to him at the standoff and the Homestead Act and the Turner Grazing Act of 1934. We covered all this on the podcast with Ammon. So go back and listen to that podcast. It's the first podcast I did with Ammon. I believe it was on December 19th, I believe. Somewhere around there. 19th, 20th, somewhere around there. So go listen to that podcast. It was back in 2019. So Cliven and I talked. We talked for about three hours. The, re the only regret that I had is I did not record the conversation. I wish I would have recorded it. No, I would not have put it on the podcast, but I would have liked to have had it for my own personal memory, for my own personal collection. Because we talked about a lot in that podcast, a lot in that conversation. I did not have a recorder with me, and I did not have access to a smart PDA device because it was charging, and I had no way of getting over there to the outlet where it was at or something like that. So then, after we conversed, I told him I wanted to go to his ranch. So after we stepped out of my motel room... The very first thing he said was, you need to know something. But right away, when I hear the words, you need to know something, and we just step out of my house or motel or whatever, I know it's automatically going to be something about my blindness. This has happened a lot. You know, I go on a date and we step out of my house. Oh, this is nerve-wracking. How do I lead you or whatever? So when Cliven said, you need to know something, I knew it was going to be something about my blindness, a question. So I just waited and he said, I'm not going to treat you like a baby, but if you need help, let me know. And I kind of laughed because I'd never heard that before. And it was funny that, uh, <laughs> that he said that. <laughs> um... I know what he meant, but it was just funny because I'd never heard that before. <laughs> I told a friend of mine later who got me in contact with Cliven, and he said, that's just a typical rancher talking to you. I thought, okay. And actually, as I thought about that statement, I treated it as a compliment. I think that was his way of saying, I know you're capable, so I won't treat you like a baby. But it was funny. So we went to his ranch. But before we got there, we drove over the bridge where the standoff took place on April 12th, 2014. I was not at the standoff. I actually seriously thought about going to the standoff, but there were reasons I didn't go, which I'm not going to get into at this time. There were reasons I didn't go. 
but I really thought about going, and I could have. I actually could have. I could have made a, a friend at the standoff, and we could have, you know, he could have walked me around and guided me around, whatever. But there were reasons I didn't go. I wanted to. And like I said, I really thought about going. I, I really thought about it for a good 24 hours. And when, But when I was at the bridge, when Cliven told me we were at the bridge, I couldn't walk out because there were cars going over the bridge. But while we were driving over the bridge, a lot of thoughts came into my mind. What would it have been like to be at that standoff fighting for freedom, fighting beside Cliven Bundy and the whole family for that matter, for that matter, not just Cliven, but the whole family and the whole country? What would it have been like to fight for freedom? What would it have been like to go against the Bureau of Land Management? You know, there were guns pointed at each other on both sides of the issue. Not uh, a friend of mine, he actually did not have a gun. And I think he actually mentioned that in uh, Brian Hyde Part 1, I believe. He did not have a gun on him, but there were those that did, and he even said there were people on both sides looking for a fight. It was intense. Would I have been nervous to be at that standoff? Oh, yeah, you better believe it. But it would have been a real, uh, I don't know what word I could use, but it would have been really something to know that I was standing for something if I went to the standoff. I'm actually surprised my friend didn't carry a gun with him. Honestly. But he didn't. And that's not a bash against him. I'm just surprised that he didn't. Especially given all the circumstances that were going on at the standoff and what he, he knew what he was getting into. But I thought about what would have been like to be at that standoff to recite phrases. What would it have been like to witness the cattle being taken from Cliven's ranch. What would it have been like when the government said, oh, we're going to back down on this? At what point would... One, th one regret that I have about interviewing Ammon is I did not ask him what, at what point did he know that the government was going to actually back down because at first the, the, the sheriff said, oh, we're going to back down. Well, what are you going to do to the cattle? What are you going to do to this? What are you going to do to the water pipes that you destroyed? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So at what point did it become believable? I should have asked Ammon this. Maybe I will if I interview him again. Well, at what point will, would it have been believable, or did you believe the government back, was backing down? What action did they take to make you believe that, yes, they were backing down? I thought about uh, videos being taken, because there was a lot of video being taken at that standoff. I thought about Eric Parker being under the bridge taking video. I thought about Alex Jones. Well, Alex Jones wasn't there, but I thought about David Knight, who was one of the reporters who now does his own talk show. He was there covering the story, did a great job. In fact, I got most of the information from him because Alex Jones interviewed David Knight while Alex Jones was in the studios in Austin. David Knight was at the Bundy Ranch, and they were conversing back and forth on the air. A lot of thoughts were going through my mind, and then contrast that to when I was there last year, driving over the bridge, and the peace and quietness. Obviously, there were cars driving over, but it was peace and quiet compared to April 12th of 2000. 14. I'll tell you what, I may not have been there at the standoff physically, but I was there in spirit. I'll tell you exactly where I was. I was in a, a store at a getting a brand new iPhone because uh, I was due for an upgrade and my iPhone was getting old and slow. So I was actually trying to upgrade my iPhone and I did. And I asked the person at the counter, behind the counter, because I hadn't heard anything, because I was busy running around getting things taken care of that day. But 
I asked the I asked the guy behind the counter, "Have you heard anything about the standoff at the Bundy Ranch?" And he said, "No, but I heard that they're going to do something today." And I didn't even know what was going on until I got home late that night, because I didn't get any notifications on my phone. I I didn't hear anything. I had to email a friend of mine, and then I did a lot of intensive research the next day. I was glad to see the Bundys get off. I was pleasantly surprised. I really thought that this is going to be another Ruby Ridge or Waco. No, it was not. And I think Ammon was right. I think the reason the government backed down is because there were too many people with guns, with firearms. And by the way, I am not encouraging violence. In fact, the Bundys did not want violence. In fact, uh, those that were at the at Cliven's house before they went to the standoff, Cliven specifically said, and I got this on very good authority, do not swear at the Bureau of Land Management. Do not fire a shot. We're just going to go down and protest peacefully. Do not fire your guns. Do not swear at them. We're just going to make a statement. But I think that there were enough people there that were armed. I think the Bureau of Land Management knew that if they caused any trouble, it would not, it would not look well. And to drive things to a more practical level, who was president back in 2014? President Obama. I really do think and I'll get into this later in the podcast, I really do think that our Father in Heaven was looking out for that family. Um, I know that there were a lot of prayers said. I know that uh, I know that there was a prayer that was said at the Bundy home before Cliven and his crowd left to go protest at the standoff. A lot of prayers being said, and probably not just at the standoff, around the country, maybe even around the world, because this did get worldwide attention. Probably not as much as in the U.S. and Canada, but it did. I'm sure that there were people around the world uh, praying for the Bundys' well-being. So after we drove across the bridge, we went to the ranch, and I walked around with Cliven. He explained to me what was at the ranch and I got to fill some Brigham tea. Brigham tea is a is an herbal tea that grows down in southern Nevada and Arizona. And I'll get into that later. But it's an herbal tea that Cliven showed me. It's, it's a weed, basically, that they turn into tea. And we just walked around. And then we went into, his, uh, into Cliven's house. And he made me, from some of his Bundy beef that they take pride in, and rightfully so, he made me a hamburger with steamed zucchini, and it was really good. Have you ever had a hamburger that tastes so good that you didn't need condiments on it? You didn't need buns on both sides of the hamburger with ketchup, mustard, and all the condiments. I just had it plain. It was really good, and it was, I don't want to say it was really spicy, but it had a kick to it. It was actually really good, and so was the steamed zucchini. And uh, Cliven made all this for me, and I could hear him frying the hamburger in the skillet. But I want to tell you something about their house. And I told Cliven this last night. I, told, I called him up and told him I'm doing a podcast about my experience with you. I gave him a heads up. Not that he would have cared, I just thought he would like to know, out of courtesy, uh, you know, a friend to a friend type thing. And I told him, and I'm going to tell you, I really felt a special spirit at their house. And I'm, I, I can almost guarantee you, so did Brian Hyde, the guy who was at the standoff. I think he did too. I hadn't asked him about this, but I think he did just based on conversations we've had before and after the podcast. I really felt God's Spirit in there. 
Now, I did not have a major spiritual overhaul. I did not, you know, I, I didn't, you know, don't get me wrong, folks. I was not transfigured or any of that. No, 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 no. When I say I felt the Spirit, I just felt a very peaceful feeling uh, like you would in church sometimes. You've been in church and felt the Spirit. That's kind of what it reminded me of. It was like being in church. We didn't sing church hymns or any of that, but I think the Spirit was just so strong, it was like being in church. And after we ate lunch, we went to the mountain where the BLM owns land, Bureau of Land Management, where they own land. And we walked around the mountain, and Cliven showed me something that I thought was really cool and very innovative. I'm sure he wasn't the first to invent such a thing, but it was a really cool idea, especially when you look at the idea of how primitive it was. He had a tractor tire cut out, you know, kind of like the tractor tires we used to play in, play on as little kids. But the, this was a tractor tire that wasn't cut out in the middle. But it was a huge tractor tire, really big. And it was cut out, but there was the, the bottom of the tire still existed. In that tire was water and a pipe. I, I don't know where the pipe was. I don't know where the origin of the pipe began. I don't know where the origin of the pipe was. I'm assuming it was probably from some ditch or the Virgin River or somewhere. Anyway, that pipe led to the tire, and there was water coming out of the pipe. And it filled the tire, and the cattle could climb in and drink the water, and they would put their mouth on a valve that was floating around in the water. I thought that was really neat, actually. That was very innovative. I would have never thought of something like that. Now, I'm sure Cliven was not the first one to think of this. I'm sure someone told him about it or something, but it was a really neat idea. Then a funny thing happened to me on the mountain. He showed me what looked like a real thick pie crust. And he said, what do you think this is? I examined it, and I, I said, it looks like a real thick pie crust. And he said, it's a cow pie. You know how long it's been since I have heard the words cow pie? Until 2019? I probably hadn't heard those words put together since I was probably seven or eight years old. And I think the last time I'd heard anything about a cow pie until 2019, I think my brother and his friend were laughing about a cow pie or something in reference to a cow pie. I'd completely forgotten about it. You know what I wanted to, what I should have done just to have a little fun? I should have thrown it to the ground really hard to see if it would crumble. Probably would have. If I really wanted to have fun, I'd have Cliven take me to the Virgin River a ditch and put it in the ditch and reconstitute it. That would have been quite the sight, wouldn't it? That would have been kind of funny, actually. Uh, but I wasn't thinking about it. I, I should have at least thrown it to the ground just to have a little fun. <laughs> but you know what? Out of all the conversations... And some of the, the two funny experiences that I re relayed to, you know what? I realize, I noticed something in that man. Determination. Constitutionalist. You may not have agreed with Cliven's tactics. Or the rest of the family's tactics. But you know what? There's a lot of determination. They're good men, Cliven and Ammon and Ryan and others but I'm mentioning those three because they're the most vocal. They're good men. You may not always agree with their tactics, but they have the country in mind, and they are good patriots. I've met all three of them. Let me tell you something else that I saw in Cliven. A very soft-hearted person. I know you wouldn't believe me just by knowing what the media talks, how the media talks about them,
But uh, Cliven, I can tell you, is a very sympathetic person. Of course he's not going to be a pushover. I'm sure if you manipulated him, he would see right through it. But if you really needed something and really needed some help, I think Cliven would give you the shirt off his back, both figuratively and literally, if he saw that that needed to happen. If he really saw that you were in need, I know he would do it. Now, let me tell you something else, too. By the way, there's a reason I'm bringing up the Bundys here. We'll get into that reason later. But I noticed something else, too. His wife, Carol, has a very special spirit. And I'd mentioned this in a podcast before, and I forgot to talk to Ammon about Carol, too. Carol is Cliven's wife slash Ammon's mother. The reason I didn't talk to, about Carol to Ammon is because we were running short on time. And I felt like other things were a higher priority. But maybe one of these days, I'll ask Ammon about Carol. Carol has a very special spirit. And I could feel that spirit long before I even met the Bundys. I could feel that spirit when I heard Carol being interviewed on the Bundy Ranch Facebook page on Facebook. Brian Hyde was covering the trial. Uh, back in 2017 in Nevada. And every day he would give us a briefing, almost like a press conference of what happened during the trial, during that day. And he would interview people like Cliven's daughter, Cherie, and Carol. I think Carol had, had a lot of interviews, if I remember. But every time I'd hear Carol talk, I just felt something special. And Cliven's a good man. Don't get me wrong. I like Cliven. He's a friend of mine. But I didn't feel that special spirit that I felt uh, when I would hear Carol talk. There was something special about Carol. And I noticed it, too, when I was at their house. Because I went to their house twice while I was there. Once to eat lunch, and then we went to the mountain. Then we went and relaxed for, I don't know, a good hour or so. And I had a good conversation when I went to their house. This was after the mountaintop. Oh, another thing that I need to tell you. When Cliven made me lunch, he gave me some Brigham tea. I talked about Brigham tea earlier in the podcast. This is just my opinion, okay? It's just my opinion. You might like it. I thought it was disgusting. <laughs> I'm sure if I had it every day, I'd get used to it. It just tasted so strong. It, 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 have you ever had black coffee? I have. It tastes much stronger than black coffee, in my opinion. Um, I told Cliven, I need sugar in this. And he kind of made a joke that, oh, us cowboys, we just drink strong drinks like this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he does. Oh, my. I had to work just to swallow it. <laughs> but I'm sure if I had it every day, I'd get used to it without the sugar. I don't even remember. I don't even think he did put sugar. I think by the time I said it, I was almost done, so I just drank the whole thing. But I wanted to try it. I'm glad I tried it. But uh, anyway, I just wanted to let you know. Don't believe everything about the Bundys that you read in the media. Why am I bringing all this up? Because Dallin H. Oaks did a talk in conference in two th uh, this year, October of this year. And one of the things that he talked about was obeying the law of the land. Now, he first talked about how we need to love our enemies and how in this world... It is almost impossible to love your enemies. But he also said one of the ways that you can do this is, and he quoted the parable, or he quoted an incident that the Savior had. Well, who should we pay our money to then, God or the government of Rome? The Savior pulled out a coin and said, pay, render unto Caesar. So the Savior said, render unto Caesar. And then Dallin H. Oaks, President Oaks, 
talked about how we have to follow the laws of man temporarily, but we follow the laws of God eternally. Then he also talked about violence. And he mentioned how surprised the world was to see such violence in America over the summer. I agree with President Oaks on that, by the way. I agree uh, with what he said about rendering unto Caesar. We'll get into that later. It was a very it was a very complex talk. It was not what I consider to be a talk that was black and white about everything. And I'll get into that later. It was a very complex talk. There's a, there's a link to it on, on the show notes. He basically, he said that we will accept the results of the election peacefully. I agree with him. We should. He also mentioned, I'm just going to divert here from this a little, well, I'm not going to divert from the top, but I'm going to go on. And I, I was actually surprised that he brought up racial relations. He actually said that our country does not have a happy history in dealing with race. I'm actually surprised that he mentioned that. Because usually the church tries to stay out of these topics. But I think because it's such a topic in your face now, he had to say it. And he's right. Go look at slavery. Go look at, uh, go look at the segregation in the South. Even in 1990, long after the 1960s, 1990, I was talking to my bishop on Sunday, and he was studying to get his uh, medical degree in 1990. They met at a golf course. I guess it was a, a golf a clubhouse at a golf course for a, at a country club. I, and I can't remember why, but a bunch of medical students met there for something. There was a black woman who was not allowed in because she was black. This is in 1990, folks. Long after the Civil Rights Act was passed. Long after the government said, you're not supposed to do segregation. That probably was one of the reasons why President Oaks brought it up. He's probably aware of these incidences that happened long after segregation was illegal. And then President Oaks talked about how we may not agree with somebody. We may have some fierce disagreements. But one of the ways that we can overcome these and, and still be civil is find out something about that person. Understand where they're coming from perfect example there's a friend of mine who's blind him and i have some very fierce disagreements we're at each other quite a bit on facebook although there is this unspoken rule that we don't get at each other in person but we're definitely at each other on facebook and it is kind of entertaining him and i will be the first to admit it is entertaining to be at each other on facebook but there's this unspoken rule that we're not at each other in person we're very civil in person we still disagree on, on some things fiercely. But I think the thing that keeps us together is we're both blind and we're both in the National Federation of the Blind. And we agree on a lot of blindness issues, quite a few. In fact, I've worked with, uh, with this friend of mine on some blindness issues because I agreed with him, still do. But the point is I actually took time and we took time to understand each other one day. And I think that's what President Oaks is talking about. For example, you might have a teacher that is awfully liberal. Not just politically, but about other things. But you might find out, oh, this teacher and I may disagree fiercely on political and some social issues. But you know what? She has a good personality. She knows a lot about the subjects that she's teaching. If I want to know something about this subject, I'm going to ask her, regardless of our politics, regardless of ideology, regardless of religious differences or whatever. I think that's what President Oaks was trying to convey. Now, I want to get back to obeying the laws of the land because people asked me after that talk, 
Oh, what do you think of the Bundys? What, do you think the Bundys listened to it? Yeah, I know they did. Here's my take. And I wish President Oaks would have gotten into this a little bit more. There was a lot in that talk. That talk was very meaty. M-E-A-T-E-Y, or however you spell meaty, with meat. I don't know if I want to say red meat, but meat. A lot of meat in that talk. It's one of those talks you need to read probably about five or six times. Here's my take as this talk pertains to the Bundys. And by the way, I want to get to some other talks that stuck out with me about General Conference. Maybe I'll do that in a later podcast. But here's my take. The Bundys are not violent. They are peaceful. And what law did the Bundys break? I'm serious because the court has the courts have found them innocent. Judge Gloria Navarro, remember, dismissed the trial with prejudice because the government withheld sculpatory evidence. Now you might say, well, Kevin, they broke the law by not paying grazing fees. Okay, but the grazing fees are unconstitutional. Cliven was willing to fight the court was willing to fight this through the courts, and I think, if I remember correctly, I think he actually won a court case, but the government kept hounding at him. And by the way, remember I mentioned Cliven said at his house, we're going to go down and protest. No violence, no gunshots, none of that. We're going to protest peacefully. Now, I'm sure, well, I don't, I'm sure that uh, if somebody from the other side fired a shot from the Bureau of Land Management or something, then there might have been some actions. But Cliven said, basically, do not shoot First, do not swear at these government officials. We're just going to go down and protest. He made that very clear. And I, like I said, I have this on very good authority. Cliven was not invoking violence. And another thing that President Oaks said is that it is perfectly okay to protest peacefully. Now, you might say, well, Kevin, they did occupy that refuge in, uh, just outside of Burns, Oregon. Yes, they did. Oh, Kevin, the church condemned it. Yes, they did. You're absolutely right. But as far as I know, there was no trespassing sign. There was not a no trespassing sign at the Malheur Refuge. It was opened. Anybody could walk in. Now, my personal opinion, and this is just my opinion, I think that there might have been more effective ways to get the point across other than occupying the refuge. But I understand why they did it. It was out in the middle of nowhere. They didn't want to be in Burns itself because the whole Hammond fiasco was affecting the residents of Burns. I just think that it would have been more effective to have an RV out there or something or you know and taking care of business because when you occupy a building like that you come across as a nut job and you don't know who your enemies are and who they are but were they effective? Yeah, they were effective of occupying these the federal building in Burns. I was supportive of them even though I thought at the time there could have been better ways of doing it. Remember, and I heard Ammon uh, on an interview about this, sheriff, the sheriff of Harney County was talking to Ammon every day until he got pressured from the FBI and other government uh, bureaucrats not to do so. Bureaucratic agencies. He was meeting with sheriffs in eastern Oregon, and I understand that he had some meetings to meet with sheriffs in Idaho. He was really making some headway. Until the FBI got in and shot Ammon's buddy, Lavoy Finnicum, who was another great man. I've met uh, Jeanette Finnicum. You could also call her, since this is an LDS podcast, Sister Finnicum, if you want to. But nonetheless, I met Jeanette, very kind woman. They were making headway. So... The point is, people say, oh, Kevin, they occupied this federal building. Yeah, but there was, no, there was not a no trespass sign. And should there have been, it, is, it was public, still is public property. They were peaceful. They were not violent. 
They were peaceful. In fact, they were making food. The Bundys and other people there, they were making food for people that wanted to come and join. There were restaurants delivering food to these people. Contrast that to what Dallin H. Oaks is talking about when he talks about violence. There, you know, it's funny that these uh, Antifa folks can get together and riot and occupy buildings. You don't hear a peep from the media about it, other than the fact that it's been done, but you don't hear how wrong it is. In fact, you hear people justifying it. What did Dallin H. Oaks say? He basically condemned the violence, as he should have. Also, and, uh, you know, if the government really wanted people to stay out of that building, they would have locked it up and secured it up very, very tightly. So, and by the way, the court found them innocent there too. The, the, the federal grand jury found them innocent. Why? Well, because a lot of things were in court that came out in court like uh, the informants trashing the building after the occupants left. The fact that certain words were not able to be mentioned in the, uh, in the court trial in Portland. Remember, Mark Mumford was tased just outside of the courtroom, for heaven's sakes. So there was definitely a double standard. So when people bring up, oh, I wonder what the Bundys thought of that talk. I I I have a different viewpoint on that. Are the Bundys perfect? No. But they have their very good and very strict about patriotism. So, as far as Dylan A. Chokes' talk and how it relates to the Bundys, oh, here's another thing, too. Since we are talking about civil disobedience, that's really what we're talking about here. Remember, Martin Luther King was arrested 29 times. One of those times that he was arrested was because he put on a parade without a permit. Now, for those of you who are out there condemning the Bundys for their violence... Or not violence, for their law-breaking or so-called law-breaking, never mind the fact that the court found them innocent twice. You know, by the way, the Circuit Court of Appeals, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals wouldn't even take their case after Gloria Navarro in Nevada dismissed the trial with prejudice. They wouldn't take it up. And I talked about that with Brian Hyde on the last podcast I did with him. Go look it up. It says on this episode of Brian of this podcast because I accidentally wrote that in the title instead of the title itself. But go look it up. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals wouldn't even take that case. That tells me a lot right there. And so you say, oh, Kevin, they didn't do it because the government had egg on their face and they get caught red-handedly. Well, good. Prosecute the thugs that work for the federal government then. Let's prosecute them. Good. Let's have some accountability. The point is, the Bundys protested very peacefully. And Cliven was willing to fight in the court system to get the whole grazing fee issue straightened out. And Cliven has said multiple times, even to me in person when I met him, even to me in my motel room in Mesquite, Nevada, if I owe the state a bunch of money, I'll gladly pay it. Let's negotiate, but I won't do it with the federal government. He said that. Even if, he said, even if I owe the county a bunch of money, let's negotiate. He said that right to my face, and he said that in interviews. But what did the government do? They hounded on him, hounded on him, hounded on him. They took his cattle away. They shot the cattle. The government, uh, some of the, I believe it was the FBI they tased pregnant women there. I think they tased one of the daughter-in-laws of Cliven that was pregnant. They tased Ammon a bunch of times. You tell me who's being the violent one here. And this gets back to President Oaks's talk. 
But I want to bring up Martin Luther King because Martin Luther, you know, those of you who are condemning the Bundys for lawbreaking, you're the same people who are holding up Martin Luther King as some major hero, even though he put on a parade without a permit and got arrested. Even though he got arrested because he wasn't allowed in a restaurant or uh, he was at a sit-in at a restaurant and he got arrested because either he wasn't allowed in that restaurant or he did not sit in the appropriate place for a black person. Rosa Parks got arrested because she would not go in the back of the bus. Many of you would say, oh, it's the law of the land. Rosa Parks broke the law of the land. Yeah, but you're holding her in high esteem. You cannot have it both ways, folks. I consider the Bundys a modern example of peaceful demonstrators, civil disobedient. And I wish Dallin H. Oaks would have gotten into the civil disobedient factor. I wish he would have talked about when it was okay to be civil diso civilly disobedient. I don't want violence. In fact, we don't need to be violent. We don't need to be violent at all. We just need more people to get involved in the patriot movement. That's all. And if we had a bunch of people out there that were involved in this movement, and I'm talking about half the country, we could really change things around. And Ammon was doing some really good things when he and his crowd was occupying that building in Burns, whether you agree with it or not. Yes, the church came out and condemned it because the church has a public relations department. And I can't speak for the church, but I believe one of the reasons they came out and condemned it is because somebody in the Malheur Refuge building, and I'd forgotten about this until I researched it a few months ago, somebody was going by the Twitter handle of Captain Moroni, and I think that pushed the church's buttons a little. And I get it. The church is a big organization, and they're going to cover their tracks. I get it. So, no, I was not shook up when the church condemned the occupancy of the federal building. But, we, we you know, you ask me what the Bund... What do, you, what do you think the Bundy's not? What do you think now that President Oaks said? Well, I just told you what I thought. It's not entirely a black and white issue. Now, President Oaks was right to condemn the violence. There is no need for violence. I'm talking specifically about African-Americans being violent, the shooting at George, George Floyd. There was no need for violence. And in fact, George Washington, our forefathers didn't want violence. Remember, it was the British who, who fired the first shot. Then there was a revolution. So I'd like President Oaks to talk about civil disobedience. When is it okay to be civilly disobedient and give examples of Martin Luther King since a lot of people romanticize Martin Luther King? The same people that romanticize him are the same ones that knocked down the Bundys, never mind the fact that Martin Luther King was arrested 29 times. Two of those times he definitely committed civil disobedience. Actually, three. One of the times that he got arrested, he actually organized a protest without a permit. It was a protest on a sidewalk. So you tell me about Martin Luther King. You tell me, those of you that, uh, oh, I, I can't stand the Bundys. You tell me about Martin Luther King then, because he committed civil disobedience. You're going to condemn him for not obeying the laws of the land? You gonna, are you going to condemn Rosa Parks for not obeying the laws of the land? You know, at some point, you've got to stick up for yourself in a peaceful manner. At some point, and I, I'm not going to tell you when, that's up to you, but at some point, you've got to get out there and say enough is enough. I'm not going to tell you what that, where that line is. You've got to figure that out for yourself. It's going, to, it's going to be different for each one. I do not condone violence. There is no need for violence. I can't stress that enough. By the way, some other conference talks I want to get to, though, since we are on the issue of conference talks, 
and I, I just I wanted to get this out there. I know people think I'm obsessed with the Bundys. Well, it's because they fight for what they believe in. And I have more to say about the Bundys, but this podcast is running long. I just want to talk uh, real quick about some other talks, though. I want to talk about uh, Elder Bentonar's talk that he gave in, I believe it was the morning. Yes, it was the morning session. And like I said, there's going to be a link to these conference talks in the show notes. So when when you get this podcast, you'll you'll be able to click on these links. President uh, Elder David A. Bettner talked about tests and how we hate tests or how people dread tests, particularly in college. And he's right. And he also mentioned the fact that it doesn't mention the word test in the scriptures. It mentions improvement and a bunch of other words that he used. But he used the word improvement. What do we need to improve on? Then he talked about how he went, him and his wife went through their food storage and did an inventory, and they thought some things they needed to improve on, some things they threw out. And I had to laugh because he talked about how they found decades, decade, you know, food that was decades old in their closet. I'll never forget when my family moved from Oregon to Idaho. We had the exact same issue. My parents were cleaning out the food storage because we'd moved and there was food that was had been there probably since the 70s. And I think we all had a good laugh. And of course, we threw it out and we did it in such a way that it wouldn't contaminate the land fields. But David A. Bettner talked about improvement. What do we need to improve on? And then he talked about what we need to you know, take a spiritual inventory. Michelle Craig gave a good talk. I'm just summarizing these talks here because I, I realize I'm going long and I need to put this up there. But Michelle Craig gave a talk about the eyes. Uh, talked about, uh, she gave a talk about seeing through spiritual eyes, basically. And she prayed and said, what, what, am I, what do I need to work on? What am I not doing that would, give the, that would invite the Spirit in more? Or what am I doing? It kind of reminds me, really, of a talk that I heard a pastor give. I heard a pastor once say, you need to pray to the Lord each day and ask him, what am I doing or what is getting between us you and I, what is getting between us that is hindering communications? You need to ask him that every day. That's kind of what Michelle was talking about, although she said it differently. She talked about an incident where she prayed during a sacrament meeting, and the answer came to her, don't get on your phone in line. Don't look at your phone in line at the grocery store. Then she went to the grocery store the next day and she got her phone out and she remembered that prompting, so she put it away. And then a person came up and she saw an elderly gentleman with cat food. And so she tried to think of a clever response and she said, Oh, I see you have a lot of cat food. And the elderly person said, Yeah, there's a storm coming and I don't want to be without cat food. And they were conversing for a while. Then this guy said, I, don't, I haven't told anybody, but it's my birthday today. And Michelle said, Happy birthday. And her heart melted, and she talked about how she was grateful for that prompting. Then she went on to talk about an experience that a friend of hers relayed to her, to Michelle, about, I guess somebody was married and after 20 years decided he didn't want to be married to her anymore, and so now she was dealing with custody battles with the children, which I know these some of these custody battles get very ugly. And so this woman, this I guess it was Michelle's friend, she was 16 and noticed this woman cry, uh, being lonely and had a melancholy look on her face. 
she knew that something was going on, so she went to this woman after the sacrament meeting and said, hello, how are you, and gave her a hug, and this woman wanted to be left alone, and understandably so. She started crying, and this uh, younger woman said, I know things are tough for you. I love you. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. That's basically what she said. And this, this older woman said, oh, I can come back to church. I can do this. Yeah, it's all because of reaching out. I think Michelle Craig's point was sometimes we need to reach out to others that might be struggling. There are some other talks that I want to get into in a later podcast, but those are the three that stuck out to me. President Oaks, David A. Bettner, Michelle Craig. I'm actually going to get into Ammon Bundy a little bit more on another on the other podcast that I'm doing. I just know that this podcast has gone pretty long, and I've got some editing to do, and I'll put it up. But it's great to be back here uh, podcasting to you in my home base here in Montana, and I will talk to you all later.